Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast on alanarnett.com. And I have got Garrett Madison, who now has the enviable record of summiting K2 for the third time on his sixth expedition. He's talking to me from K2 Base Camp. Hey, Garrett. Congratulations, man. Hey, thank you, Alan. Wow. I mean, third time up there. Uh, so how many Everest summits do you have compared to your K2 now? So I've been to the top of Everest 11 times out of 14 attempts. And now I've been to the top of K2 three times out of six attempts. <laughs> so, and I think there's only one other person that has, he has four. And I'm not sure, it's a Pakistani climber, but I'm not sure of his name. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Not sure if he's got three or four summits of K2. Um, uh, Faisal Ali, I think is his name. Okay, great. Wonderful. I want to recognize Mr. Ali. So, um, so you're back down. You summited, I don't know what, 48 hours ago. So uh, walk us through your summit night. And I understood, and I may have this wrong, that you did something a little different than before. You launched the summit bit from Camp 3, took a short rest in Camp 4, and then went on to the summit. So to walk us through that summit night, my man. Exactly. Well, if I could back up a little bit, um, we, uh, we left and, and went up to camp one, um, on the 24th up to camp two on the 25th, uh, moved up to camp three on the 26th. And when we got to camp three, our Sherpa team was up ahead of us at camp four and they had cached most of our oxygen up at camp four. Well, uh, the previous week, there was a big wind event here on K2 and the windstorm really blew all the snow off of uh, the south side of the mountain and where the bottleneck is and the traverse cleaned all that snow off and blew it off over the shoulder and deposited it on the glacier where camp four and camp three sit. So our oxygen was buried in about three meters of snow. So oh. the day we moved up to camp three, our Sherpa went to recover our oxygen at camp four and couldn't find it. It was buried in about three meters of snow. So they spent the whole day digging and finally recovered the oxygen. During that day at camp three, we were thinking about what we would do if uh, we couldn't find the oxygen. We had some of it there uh, cached at camp three, um, but we were gonna have to go with a minimal amount. So fortunately they found it at camp four and uh, we were able to move up to camp four on the 27th, but we went up late in the day. We left about uh, 2 p.m. from camp three. And as you know, and remember it's only a few hours up to camp four on the shoulder there. So we got up to camp four in the early evening, about five o'clock, uh, settled into the tents there, uh, brewed up, had some hot drinks, some uh, dehydrated freeze-dried food, and uh, got a little bit of rest before setting off at about uh, 11.45 p.m., close to midnight, actually. We left camp four for the summit. Wow. So that, uh, that ended up being an extra, extra long day then. Uh, so do you think that was a, um, looking back now, do you think that'll be a strategy that you'll use in the future? I mean, not losing <laughs> the oxygen bottles under snow, but kind of abbreviating that time at uh, camp four. Yeah, actually it worked really well because the trip from camp three to camp four was a short day, just a few hours. And then we got up to camp four and rested, uh, four or five hours there and set off around midnight. Fortunately for us, um, our Sherpas had fixed lines um, two days before up through the Traverse and then the Pioneer team, uh, Alpomania from Ukraine, summited on the 27th. So we knew the lines had been continued and finished all the way to the summit. 
So we were feeling good about the route conditions. And when we left camp four, um, because of that big windstorm, um, there wasn't much snow. It wasn't like breaking trail when you and I climbed in 2014. I think it was knee deep or thigh deep snow, most of the way up the shoulder and the bottleneck there and, and above the traverse to the summit. So actually for us, uh, two days ago, it was really good climbing conditions, all scoured by the wind, very firm, icy terrain, and we weren't sinking in at all. So it only took us about five and a half hours to climb from Camp wow. 4 to the summit. We went up the shoulder there, uh, got up into the bottleneck, traversed, and uh, it was hard ice going up uh, to the, the break point there, two-thirds yeah, of the way to the summit. And from there, it was just very straightforward, easy climbing. So we really lucked out. It's really interesting on K2. I mean, the real crux, in my opinion, is between uh, uh, two and three on the Black Pyramid. That seems to be the, you know, where you're physically having to exert the most energy. And then once you do get that camp four, I mean, with all due respect to the bottleneck and the and that giant Serac hanging over your head, um, it's not that bad, uh, albeit considering the altitude. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Alan. Um, I think the, the crux of the climb and actually the most dangerous part of the climb is between camp one and camp three, uh, the rockfall hazard there um, where the rocks uh, become loose, they melt out and sometimes climbers accidentally dislodge them. But when those rocks come down, boy, it's like an airstrike coming in and yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. duck and cover. So <laughs> I feel like between the technical nature of the, the climb and the terrain there on the Black Pyramid and the rockfall hazard, um, that's really the, the most challenging and dangerous part of the whole climb. How was your descent? Pretty straightforward? Yeah, we came down um, and got to camp four about uh, 10 a.m. So pretty early in the day. Um, you know, we were up there at the summit, 6, 7 a.m. Just had a beautiful uh, sunrise and um, just a windless day. Not, a, not even a breath of wind at the summit. Just incredibly lucky. And uh, coming down from the summit, we passed uh, Elias Saikali and his team with Sajid Sedpara and uh, PK Sherpa. And then we passed two other climbers who were climbing without oxygen, um, Hugo from Bolivia and Nils from Belgium, and then uh, cruised down to Camp 4 and uh, rested up there, refilled our water bottles, and then went all the way down to Camp 3, spent the night there, and then woke up at Camp 3 the next morning early at daybreak, and then made our way slowly down to base camp and got in just in time for dinner the other night. Did, uh, did anybody go all the way from the summit all the way down to base camp or did everybody stop at three? Yeah, actually, uh, two of our climbers, uh, guide John Gupta and his client Rebecca Ferry from the UK, who's now the first uh, British woman to summit K2 and make it down alive. Um, they continued all the way from the summit down to base camp, getting in around midnight. So just an incredible oh. endurance uh, effort on their part, coming all the way down to base camp in a single push. Yeah, I think she's trying to do, I don't know, six or seven, eight thousanders here in one year. So good on them. Very, very, very impressive. Hey, uh, I know you brought over um, some Sherpas from your Everest team from Nepal, but you also had three Pakistani um, climbers with you. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Hussein and those guys. Yeah, so these are great guys. I've worked with some of them in the past. And uh, for them to have the opportunity to summit K2 is a really big deal. Oftentimes, uh, expeditions will hire them as high altitude porters to carry loads up to the high camps, but not actually bring the oxygen and the masks and regulators for them to climb on summit day. And uh, so we wanted to give them the opportunity to make it to the summit with us if everything worked out. 
in terms of weather, route conditions, and everyone's feeling strong. So three of them climbed with us on summit day, and it was just really special um, climbing all together as a unit and getting to the top of the mountain together. Uh, we took a lot of photos and unfurled yeah. their Pakistani flag. And uh, for them, it's just such a monumental achievement to get to the summit of K2. For uh, one of them, um, Ali, it's his second summit of K2. He summited in 2018 as well. So he's just beyond thrilled and can't wait for these guys to get home to their village and their families and celebrate their huge success. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, it seemed like this year was the year that, um, you know, a lot of people <clears throat> did some really good things, including, like, as you mentioned, the two gentlemen um, um, from Belgium and um, elsewhere that uh, summited Broad Peak without oxygen and then K2 without oxygen. That's a, that's a really, really rare feat. Hey, speaking of uh, Broad Peak, are you, at one point you thought about going to Broad Peak. What's the status on that? Well, we're still uh, in decision-making mode. Uh, we're watching the weather forecast, and tomorrow we're going to decide whether or not we're going to make an attempt on Broad Peak. It looks like there may be a weather window of high pressure August 3rd through 6th. So if that looks to be the case and our team is feeling up for it, we might make an attempt on Broad Peak those dates, and then after that we would definitely head out. Uh, most of the other teams have already packed up and left or are leaving tomorrow, so we'd be the last team here. Yeah, and snow conditions, as you well know, are very tough right now on Broad Peak. You know, there was one more attempt that was made uh, earlier today. I guess uh, he finally gave up. So I think if you go, you guys will be the last ones over on Broad. So uh, one of the things that uh, has really dominated the headlines this year was um, um, uh, Saeed's uh, search for his father, Ali, along with uh, John and JP, who went missing back on February the 5th in the winter expedition. Um, briefly, the story, they all left from high camp. Uh, the Saeed's oxygen regulator uh, began to malfunction. He returned. His dad told him to go wait for him, and uh, they never showed back up. In spite of extensive searching, including aerial searching using infrared technology, no so, uh, sign was found of them. And then uh, Saeed and the team went up and uh, used a drone and looked for him and didn't find them. But then uh, I believe it was your Sherpas along with Pioneer Sherpas that uh, actually, uh, as they were fixing the rope uh, towards the bottleneck, came upon all three of them. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know there? Yeah, um, what I think happened was uh, this wind event we had recently um, must have blown off all the snow that was covering them when uh, Elia did the uh, drone search and couldn't find anything a couple of weeks ago. And when our Sherpas were fixing lines, they recovered, or they, they found the first body, JP, about halfway from camp four up to the bottleneck on the shoulder there. And then uh, when they were fixing lines up past the bottleneck and beginning on the traverse, they found the body of Ali Sedpara, and then a little bit higher up, the body of John Snorri. And then, uh, of course, when we climbed on our summit day, we passed them on the route. And uh, Elia's team, with uh, Ali Sedpara's son, Sajid, and PK Sherpa um, buried the body of JP there uh, on the shoulder. And then um, when they got up to uh, Sajid's father, Ali, um, they did a search to try to recover anything um, uh, for the family, anything useful. And then of course, uh, just checked on the body of John Snorri. Then they continued to the summit. We passed them when we were coming down from the summit, they were heading up. And then on the way down, um, I believe uh, they stopped at the body of Ali Sadpara and his son Sajid was able to um, disconnect him from the ropes along with the help of uh, Hugo from Bolivia and get him down to camp four 
uh, or close by where they buried him. So uh, I think it's a wonderful uh, outcome for their expedition to have uh, found uh, Sajid's father and uh, hopefully pieced together what happened on their uh, summit climb. Uh, we think that they did make it to the summit and uh, weren't able to make it down just due to exhaustion and cold weather and really tough conditions. So I think it's a good outcome overall. And I think uh, Elias Saikali is gonna make a film about it, hopefully in the next year or so. And uh, they did recover a camera, I believe, which should provide some clues as to what happened up there um, this last winter on K2. And they were climbing without supplemental oxygen. And um, I think you'd mentioned that the winds were significantly higher than what uh, NIMS and uh, what I call them the K29 experienced uh, about a week earlier. So climbing without oxygen, of course, that um, increases your risk of just not staying warm. Um, and they were still attached to the ropes by, I guess, um, uh, uh, Jumar and carabiners. Exactly. Yeah. From what we could see, um, given their rigging as they were connected to the fixed lines, it looked like they were on the descent. Um, Alisa Parra was definitely uh, in the process of rappelling down and John Snorri above him was clipped in with his safeties and uh, JP, we don't know exactly uh, what happened to him. He was below the bottleneck uh, closer to camp four, but um, I could imagine a big, uh, big cold gust of wind coming in and boy, being exhausted from the summit and trying to get down in the cold without oxygen, it would be really tough. Well, that's just tragic, uh, no matter if they summit it or not. And certainly our, um, you know, our just support goes out to all the families of all three climbers uh, and, uh, you know, people following this closely around the world. So, um, you know, I know that everybody treated them in the situation and, uh, you know, Saeed and his team with a lot of respect. And so good on everybody for doing that. So uh, you're going to rest up for a few more days, go over and check out Broad Peak and then begin that trek back down to, to Escoli. Oh my gosh, I, uh, I can't imagine Stal staying for another, uh, whatever it would be, a week. You said August 6th, so you might be looking at 10 more days there before you uh, get back to a real life mattress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gosh, we got into base camp uh, last night around dinner time and had a big feast and then a, a cake and opened a couple of bottles of champagne to celebrate did some dancing with our whole uh, Pakistan and Nepal <laughs> staff here and uh, now we're just we're resting up we're gorging ourselves on on beef and vegetables and rice and uh, we'll make a decision about Broad Peak here in the next day or two but if we do stay for Broad Peak uh, we'd probably not head out of base camp for another uh, week or so so probably at least a couple more weeks here in Pakistan but Hey, it's, uh, it's great. Don't have anywhere else to be right now. We've got a great team. Everyone's having fun and good spirits and healthy. And so uh, we're just enjoying being here at K2 Base Camp. I really hope you get to do Broad Peak because that would be a rare item to do K2 then Broad Peak. Almost everybody does it the other way around under the auspices of acclimatizing a Broad Peak and then going and, you know, nabbing K2 and Alpine style. And it almost never works out. So if you do this, um, you're going to be, uh, once again, I think setting some, uh, you know, some precedent for other people setting a very high bar, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, we're just watching the weather and the route conditions and uh, trying to make the best decisions here for safety and any potential summit opportunities. So we'll just take it one day at a time, but everyone's doing well. We're glad to be in base camp. We're healthy and uh, looking forward to what the next few days here bring.
Well, again, congratulations, Garrett. I really appreciate you walking down in that. Uh, give us a quick uh, uh, a tour there over your left shoulder. Sure, sure. So that's uh, our K2 base camp here on the moraine. And you can see the lower flanks of K2, the glaciers coming down. And then uh, over here is Broad Peak and uh, down towards Broad Peak Base Camp. Uh, just over the hill here is uh, the team of Graham Zimmerman and, and Ian who are attempting a new route on K2. And uh, that's the way they're heading up to attempt the West Ridge. So a little bit cloudy here today. It's been snowing and raining. Uh, should be sunny tomorrow. And then a couple more days of bad weather before a sunny spell starting August 3rd through the 6th. Cool. So I thought Ian um, and, and um, Graham had decided to end. Are they still at base camp? Going to try to give it one more shot? Yeah, yeah. So I talked to their liaison officer today. He came over to our camp and he said uh, they, they want to give it one more shot. Um, they're considering staying past their uh, permit uh, deadline of August uh, 10th and extending till the end of the month, but haven't decided yet. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do. I wish them all the best. You know, I think it's very ambitious and uh, inspiring what they're attempting. So uh, I'll try to connect with them here in the next day or two to find out what their plans are. All right. Well, give give Graham my best. I got a chance to interview him right before he left and tell him that a lot of people are still pulling for them as well. So we'll be following you and the team, uh, you know, whatever you guys decide, obviously, uh, best of luck. Stay safe. I know you will. I know safety is your top priority and uh, and uh, keep in touch. OK. Thank you so much, Alan. Great talking with you and uh, happy belated birthday. Hope you're doing well there in Colorado. <laughs> Will do. Thanks so much, Garrett. Take care. Bye-bye. All right.